Welcome to Farming for Health, where Farmer Lee Jones and I talk with leaders in food, farming, and health and wellness to spread knowledge and inspire a plant-forward future, starting now. Welcome to the Farming for Health podcast. I'm Dr. Amy Sapola, and I'm joined today by Kristen Donnelly, cookbook author and co-author of the Chef's Garden Cookbook. Well, welcome, Kristen. Thank you. So Thank excited you. to be here. Thank you for being on. I'm so excited to talk with you. One of the first things I wanted to ask you about is you've had such an amazing career, and I'd love for you to tell our audience a little bit about kind of your journey to where you are today and some of the projects you're working on. Um, but really, as as you went through all of these different roles, how did you get started? And what brought you to work in like the culinary world and with cookbooks? <laughs> I feel like it's a cliche, but um, it started in France, where <laughs> I studied abroad um, as a junior in college. And, you know, I was just amazed at how good the food tasted and how well uh, the I lived with the host family and how well they ate. And I did not go for anything food related, but that kind of sparked my interest. And um, I started taking some cooking classes when I returned to the States. Um, and I worked in like, I just had jobs, you know, after college. Um, but a friend of mine was like, I don't think you're going to be happy until you switch over to doing something with food. And so I actually, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I applied for, um, to go to culinary school, and I applied for some scholarships. And I was like, if I get a scholarship, I will go to culinary school. And I did, and I ended up moving to New York City, and I went to um, ICE, which is Institute of Culinary Education. And from there, I actually started an internship at Food and Wine Magazine, and I thought it would be the six-week amazing experience and then it would be done. And I actually thought I would return to France as a private chef or something like that. Um, and I just kept getting like, oh, like hired for different projects. You want to stay and do this project. You want to stay and do this project. And then finally um, a staff job opened up. And so I was there for eight years. Um, very, very happy dream job. Um, and then I had a child um, and it was still an amazing job, but I, you know, it's, it's, it was, it was just a hard transition. And I was like, you know, I think I'm ready to do something more on my own and not be on staff somewhere. So I started freelancing and freelance writing, recipe development, recipe testing. And especially in the beginning, it was like anything that would come my way, I would say yes to. Um, and over time, just, uh, I guess built a career working with people on their cookbooks and that has happened in many different capacities sometimes just behind the scenes um, project managing sometimes just testing recipes i've helped people develop recipes um, and then the chef's garden book was actually the first one where it was this full collaboration um, and it's kind of cool because i feel like we could talk more about this, but I feel like it created this like little niche for myself where it's, I, I'm really interested in the um, kind of like the intersection of plants, food, and humans. Mm -hmm. And 
the working on this book sparked that and I've had other projects since then in that realm yeah let's dive into that that's I think something we're passionate about here too um but what did that open up for you as you started to work in that realm (laughs) yeah it's like as a cook you you know you get your vegetables and that's like there's your beet or there's your zucchini and you never think or I never did um I never thought that much about uh, the the plant that it came from even having done things like farm tours you know it's like you look you go on a farm tour and you see the rows of plants and you're like okay good um there they are but I hadn't thought much about like the zucchini is this fruit and it has seeds inside and its whole goal is to reproduce and we go so much more into like in the book into this but um just looking at a plant with like having needs and goals right? Um, yeah just it kind of it just opened up my my eyes and and that came from conversations with farmer lee jones um as well as his father before he passed and with um jamie simpson the chef because um jamie also thinks very deeply about this and brings that onto his plate so um yeah it was I guess that's how it started. It was like this, yeah. like, you know, them telling stories. And then I actually became so curious that I finally started gardening. I feel like it was something that I kept putting off. And then I was like, I have to garden if I'm going to do this, um, write this book. Um, and then I ended up taking a class on herbalism and, you know, just kind of going going deep. <laughs> that's awesome. I love how it kind of inspired your own journey into like more of the plant world totally, <laughs> and going deeper with herbalism too and that's I love I love herbalism but I love like that connection with plants and being able to garden and have your hands in the soil or even just eat plants grown in really healthy soil I think just gives you a greater appreciation for vegetables and even totally. since coming here that's something I've you know I I already love gardening and vegetables before I came, but, you know, it's something you're like, wow, I'm surrounded by other people like myself. And, like, to see people's passion around that, like everybody on our team and, you know, the people who enjoy our vegetables, it's really inspiring, I think. And it just is like, it just drives you to like, oh, man, I didn't even know that. I want to learn more. So, yeah. Yeah. So many directions to go. So much to learn, you know. Yeah. What's one of the biggest lessons you've learned over the years working with cookbook authors in the development of their books? So I have this podcast actually called Everything Cookbooks and we talk a lot. It's with three other people and we talk a lot about the book creation process. And our first episode is actually called like, should you write a cookbook? And that, (laughs) listen to the episode if you're interested in writing a cookbook, (laughs) first of all, but I, that episode has made me think a lot like when I'm talking to people who want to write a book it's like what do you want to say you know Mm -hmm. what what do you want to say um and why is the book the place to do this as opposed to you know we have a zillion ways to communicate now um Instagram TikTok our own websites um email so what can a book do that you can't do in that other media podcasts, Mm -hmm. you know, another type of communication. So I think just trying to get that out um, and, you know, figure out what it is that will make a book unique as opposed to all these other ways of storytelling. That is, that's like, I guess the biggest thing I've learned and it's a constant learning process and 
um, also what I, I guess what I'm always after in every in every project. Yeah. Is there like a clear like, yes, you should write a book answer to that question? Like when you start reflecting on like what sort of content should be in a book, is there something that you're like, yes, this should always turn into a cookbook or is that really more like an individualized answer? It's individualized. I think I love when there's a great story and, you know, mm-hmm. the farm has a great story and an ongoing story. Um, so I do feel like when there is a great story, a lot of times that helps with the like, yes, you should absolutely should write a book. Um, and I think when somebody has a perspective that's really strong or opinionated um, or maybe even contrarian, a little bit contrarian, um, then that also might be like is an indicator that it's time to write mm-hmm. a book or a book is a great format for yeah. what you want to say. I think that's so. awesome. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to like co-authoring the book with Chef Jamie and with Farmer Lee and Bob Sr., can you talk a little bit more about that experience for you and kind of what it was like um, working together with everyone? Sure. So for, well, I'll start, let me start with what it was like in general, which was amazing because there's Farmer Lee, Face of the Farm, but there are also so many amazing people at this farm um, who shared knowledge very generously. Um, And so once a week I would talk with Jamie, Chef Jamie, and once a week or so I would talk with Farmer Lee. Then I'd also do a ton of my own research for writing up the vegetables so I could flesh out, you know, uh, so it was a mix of their stories from the farm, but also some history and um, maybe some health related information. But what was very funny was um, Farmer especially, but everybody kept saying like, you know, or he kept saying, you really need to talk to dad. You really need to talk to dad. And the first time we finally had some time to talk, he did not want to talk to me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> Do you know why? He was very resistant. He felt like he, he kept saying, I'm the past and they're the future and I don't have anything to say. And... um. Uh, and I think I just didn't know what to do, you know? <laughs> right. That would be difficult. <laughs> but I will say then we spent some time together um, months afterwards. I think it was a mix of me getting comfortable with trying to like, f- like finding ways to bring him out more. Mm-hmm. But he also got more comfortable with the idea of the book and his contribution and what he could say. Um, And I'm sure they, you know, everybody at the farm also probably talked him into it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. And that's, I think it is really neat to have the multi-generation like perspective um, on where the farm has been and where it's at now and where it's going. Um, and I think that's something really cool about being on like a family farm. Yeah. And, you know, Farmer Lee always talks so much about his dad's ideas. And, you know, you do, you, like I realized, you know, he is the genius behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just very funny that first meeting. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's definitely <laughs> memorable, I'm sure. <laughs> A note from our sponsor. Farming for Health is brought to you by Farmer Jones Farm at the Chef's Garden. Farmer Jones Farm provides nutritious, regeneratively grown vegetables to home cooks nationwide. If you are searching for vegetables grown in a way that's healthy for you and good for the planet, try a curated box from Farmer Jones Farm. Get 15% off your order with the code FARMINGFORHEALTH15. So tell me a little bit more about your podcast. Like what brought about um, coming together with other cookbook authors and how did you decide like who you were going to host it with? Sure. It was a very natural evolution of a group I got together with once a month anyway. So we were... Um, you know, cookbook authoring can be kind of lonely, even when you work with in, in a collaborative process. There's a lot of, you know, you spend your time meeting with somebody, but then there's a lot of time solo figuring out how to write something, um, edit it. And, and then there's tricky things to navigate, like, hey, this guy doesn't want to talk to me. What do I do? Um, so <laughs> just having, um, you know, a group of colleagues or friends to uh, commiserate with is awesome and I did have that so for about five years I was meeting um, with it was a group usually three to four other all women Um, and I don't know how it came about but I was actually starting to get more interested in sharing um, behind the scenes and teaching people the process of cookbook authoring and at some point we were like, we should make this into a podcast. Um, and so we did. And I actually, right after the chef's garden book came out, I had a 12 episode podcast called plant out loud, total passion project. I mean, I did it myself. I edited everything myself. It's still up. People can find it. Um, farmer and Jamie are both on it as well as many other guests. Um, but I had learned how to produce a podcast. It's my point. And, so when they said, oh, we should do a podcast, and I was like, great, I, you know, I, I've already made all the mistakes. <laughs> and so the first thing we're going to do is hire an editor. <laughs> um, so that's all came about. It was very, it was like a natural evolution. So, um, and then we all have different perspectives in terms of like some people collaborate, some people write their own books. Um, yeah. So. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm excited to listen to it. That's, Yeah. That's great. So when it comes to your food philosophy, I really appreciate your philosophy, which is eat healthfully, indulge sometimes, and enjoy it always. Can you tell me how you came to adopt this food philosophy? I think enjoyment of food is like probably more important than some people do. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I feel like enjoyment of food also helps me like slow down and savor food and so that just as a behavior can be healthier um and then when it comes to like eat healthfully I know that's a little vague but I guess what I mean there usually is you know a lot of vegetables um whole foods in general um but indulge sometimes like I am not thankfully I don't have any food intolerances and or a dietary need to like cut a lot of things out so for me you know if I want some sweets every once in a while or I want something made with heavy cream or you know things that are seen as um, indulgent or not maybe not healthy um, I tend to eat them but it's like 
it's like that 80 20 rule so it's like 80 percent of the time trying to stick to like a fairly like quote unquote healthy diet 20 percent of the time probably what somebody would call not healthy um but again enjoyment i i realize like there there are a lot of people um, I know who maybe don't think about the enjoyment of food as much. It's very functional. Um, but for me, it's so important. I think that is so important. And I'm super passionate about mindful eating. And I think that brings in that mindful aspect where you're using all of your senses and actually like you start digestion before the food even hits your mouth, right? And yeah. so when you're actually like present and really enjoying it, you know, if you're, I always say, if you like, if you're mad or you like feel really guilty about what you're eating, that digests in your body a whole lot different than something you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good and like savoring every single bite. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's important sometimes to remove the like, the stigma around like this is good and this is bad and I'm good if I eat this and I'm bad if I eat that like how do we just enjoy food right and like you said the majority of the time really healthy food but if you indulge like enjoy that indulgence yeah and I've also realized it's so I grew up in the low fat era as a child and teenager and I have this very distinctive memory of my mom bringing home like Snackwell's cookies which were like famously like no fat cookies and I did eat an entire box. Um, and not because I was convincing myself necessarily that it was healthier. Maybe there was a little bit of that. But I almost feel like I couldn't get the satisfaction. And then I remember noticing eating like a real chocolate chip cookie. And I ate one. You know, it might have been a larger one. But like, I was like, wow, that's so good. I don't need anything else. I don't mm-hmm. need any more because that was just like so it like hit the spot. Um, and I had that realization really early on and I think that carried over into when I went to France, it's like the food just tastes so good. Like you don't need, you know, yes, like I'm eating this super cheesy potato thing, but I can only eat like this much because it's so rich. So, yeah, I think there's so much to be said for that and, you know, falling back in love with the food and not thinking necessarily focusing so much on like the macros <laughs> right but right. <laughs> more like the experience of the food and the taste and the flavor and what's gone into growing the food you know there's so many other things beyond simply just like focusing on the minute details yeah yeah the new yeah the nutrition facts <laughs> yes yeah and so it sounds like being in France was such an inspirational experience for you is there anything you learned like um that you have kept with you today as far as like cooking techniques or tips or like something you use really frequently I mean I guess it's funny like in France not just it's not unique to France but um just other places uh, people are very good at shopping mm. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes it starts there the shopping or the sourcing yeah um, so it's like when you shop or you know if it's in your garden but basically like it starts there with the ingredients that taste really amazing and then if you have that then you kind of don't need um too many bells and whistles to make that food taste good so I think that is something where like again the family I lived with cooked almost every night but it was always pretty simple stuff um like sometimes it you know people love in France love leeks so it would be like braised leeks pretty simple 
um, sometimes like pasta with smoke. I kind of remember they did this like pasta with smoked salmon pretty often, um, but it was just all so good. And every night they made a salad um, with like the delicate lettuces and, you know, this was 2000. So I feel like the quality of salad greens in the U.S. wasn't nearly as good as it is today. Um, and like the lettuces you can get from the farm, but also some of the farmers near me that are just amazing so you don't need anything more than like a little vinegar and oil Mm -hmm. um so that's a I guess I don't know if it's a philosophy but it's it's definitely like something I I learned there and that has carried through um until today yeah I think that's great and that's something I hear often like the appreciation for shopping regularly and often and the quality of food um and the freshness I think that makes such a difference and can really inspire great recipes and, you know, great simple meals at home. And I know you bring up simple preparation. Um, Oftentimes I hear, like, especially from clients or patients, um, you know, like, I don't have time to cook. I'm not interested in cooking, you know, all of those things. What would be your answer to those sorts of um, things? It's funny. I do. I under, like, I think interest is so hard because I have friends who are not interested in cooking and they're just not you know and I I get it um and it's almost like it's like finding that thing that might kick it off like what is that you know what do you really like to eat and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out that thing or I feel like some people might be motivated by um finding a certain method where for example like when I first learned to cook risotto It's like you realize, oh, once I know how to make one risotto, I can make any risotto I want. Or once I learn to make this kind of stew, I can make any version I want. So for me, that that's, I think, what started to get me really interested was like, oh, learn this method, then make it my own. Um, This is just like the fastest, like, this isn't really like a, this is a micro tip, but, and not related to the amazing vegetables at uh, the chef's garden, but I basically realized that you can buy frozen cauliflower rice recently. And I now keep a bag in my freezer all the time for when like, there's no, like I ran out of the fresh stuff because it's so fast. It melts into almost anything. Um, I don't even use it instead of rice necessarily. It's literally just like, I want to add a vegetable to something really fast and it's going to take on the flavor of whatever else is there. And it does like add this nutritional boost. I'm assuming you would know better than me, but yeah, no, it totally (laughs) does. And that's, I think frozen cauliflower is amazing. We keep it in our freezer too. I actually just had some last night. We made Indian food and used it as like the rice, but I know you actually wrote a whole book about cauliflower, right? (laughs) Well, it's so, funny. So I wrote a book about cauliflower for short stack editions. It's like 20, 20 recipes. But I also wrote a book with um, Lotus Foods. They're a rice company. Oh, cool. So about rice. So I'm not like a cauliflower versus rice. You know, <laughs> I don't have a like a, a preference. I actually really love both ingredients. Um, but yeah, the, the frozen, especially the cauliflower, the frozen cauliflower rice, like not the florets, but I just like the way it like really takes on any flavor. And it's like, if you're, if you're just you know stuck, but need a vegetable. Yeah. It's, it's there. And what inspired you to do like the, I think you called it sub short stack book. What do you call it? 
Yeah. So there was um, a, a little publishing company called Short Stack Editions mm-hmm. that um, was around for a few years. And they did the single ingredient booklets. Um, and, you know, there was one on eggs and one on strawberries, one on tomatoes. They did six a year. It was kind of this cross between like a magazine or, a you know, a periodical and a book. And so I did the one on cauliflower. It was one of the last ones, actually, before... Um, they stopped publishing, but call I I just roasted cauliflower is like my favorite thing. I, mm-hmm. you know, I could eat it many times a week and mix it up and not get uh, sick of it. Um, so I was like, what else can I do with this? And obviously, there's so much you can do, and uh, I, I it was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah. What are some of the unique uses? I know when I think of rice cauliflower, all I think of is cauliflower rice most of the time or like throw it in smoothies. Um, But what are like some of the more unique uses that you came across for cauliflower? Um, One is so bechamel sauce is a it's like a creamy. um, It's usually a mix of uh, flour, milk, butter and becomes like a cream sauce basically mm-hmm. um but it's milk and not cream and with cauliflower i'll have to look at the recipe but it basically behaves like bechamel and i think i oh, wow. was able to make it uh without dairy and then when you like you know once you have your bechamel sauce you can include that in so many different things so i think i did i end up doing like a moussaka in the little booklet but um if you make a bechamel for a lasagna or even something like I did a um, fondue. So you're still adding cheese. You get the dairy, but you don't have, um, well, you wouldn't always make a bechamel for fondue. But anyway, it was ba- I was able to make a fondue with less cheese, but it still like had a really nice flavor and texture. Um, so that was kind of like one of my like favorite uses. Or I did a vegan, for serious eats, I developed a vegan fettuccine Alfredo, and that uses the cauliflower uh, bechamel. Um, I did develop a recipe for like the cauliflower crusted, uh, pizza, which I think it's really fun. It's not something I would choose to do often. Although now that there's frozen cauliflower rice, it makes it, it does make it so much easier. Cause I was like, you know, pulsing it in the food processor to break it down and all that. But I mean, I did the things like, you know, cauliflower buffalo wings where you toss it in the buffalo mm-hmm. sauce. It's very delicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's. I think it's such a versatile vegetable. And that's sometimes it's underappreciated because I think especially as child children of the 80s and 90s, we often either saw it oversteamed or like raw in a veggie tray. And yeah, so it, raw is the worst. I know. <laughs> so it's nice to see like similar to Brussels sprouts, like this new new way to enjoy these vegetables that maybe scarred us in our childhood. So yeah. although it's funny, like Thinking about cauliflower as a plant, um, I think in the book we talk about this, but it's like this one vegetable with all these leaves and all this stem. Um, So sometimes I'm like, oh, man, it's a lot of plant matter that went into this one head of cauliflower. Um, And they're actually in the in the book, there is a recipe for the for uh, using the cauliflower and Brussels sprouts leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think about that sometimes. Like, it's such a beautiful vegetable on its own, and cauliflower rice kind of removes that, like, beautiful form. 
So yes. sometimes I'm like, oh, it should, you know, it should stay like as it is with its cool, like beautiful structure. But other times I'm like, give me the cauliflower rice. It's making life easier. So. <laughs> I know. That's we'll go out and do like field visits. And one of the things I love is like tasting different parts of the plant. And cauliflower is one of the things I didn't even realize how like sweet and like crunchy and delicious the leaves can be, especially like younger leaves with like a nice rib down the middle. Oh my gosh, they're so good. And I'm like, man, I've been missing out when you have just the plain old cauliflower, um, not having the leaves. And then finding uses for the stem, too. Same totally. with broccoli. But there's so yeah. much fiber there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So um, you've also written a book called Modern Potluck. And I mm-hmm. love the idea of a potluck. What inspired you to write this book? And can you tell me a little bit more about kind of the concept of the book? Sure. The um, I grew up with a lot of extended family nearby and almost every gathering was a potluck. We didn't always use that word, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people brought dishes. And when I had my daughter, I was living in New York city away from extended family. And, um, before I had my daughter, I was actually cooking like, you know, multi-course dinner parties for my Mm -hmm. friends. And then I was like, I can't do that anymore. (laughs) It's too exhausting. The shopping, is you know half a day and um but I was like I still want to see my friends you know so I kind of was like oh you know potluck to the rescue so I then started to think about like potluck food and um it's so delicious like I I think like some of the classic potluck food is so delicious but you know some of the I remember less with my family but I would go to community potlucks and there would be would be these like casseroles with like the cornflake topping and you know super cheesy potatoes which I love but I was like you know some of it is a little different from the way like my friends and I eat where we are incorporating a lot more vegetables and color and spices and herbs and um so I was like you know maybe maybe it's time um for just a different look at potluck food and what what that can be really mm-hmm. um so that's where the idea came about and I just um I started playing around with like you know what makes something a good potluck dish it's um you know portable can serve a crowd can hang out for a while um or if if it can't hang out for a while as is it could hang out in like a crock pot um you know, slow cooker type situation and keep it hot. Uh, so anyway, it was, it was, it was a really fun book. I still love the recipes in that book. I will say it's funny looking at it now. I love the recipes. I think sometimes when I see them, they have a little bit of a, like, look what I can do. Cause it's there, there is a lot of like, there are like more ingredients and I feel like my cooking now I'm like pairing back. How can I, I, that's what I keep thinking about. How can I pair back? How can I streamline this even more? Um, But when I want a dish that, you know, I feel like people are going to be like, wow, that's so good. Then I break out modern potluck. (laughs) Yeah. What's caused you to want to streamline more? I think just recognizing, you know, you you said with um, patients, they're like, lack of interest in cooking there's interest and there's like willingness and I I have a lot of friends who they know how to cook um they're like moderately interested but they really don't want to spend a lot of time and even you know even when they're cooking 
for a potluck or something. They don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time. And I just kept hearing that over and over again. So mm -hmm. I started to think about like, you know, how, how could I make this? <laughs> it's really like, how can I make this easier for my friends? Like, how can I, yeah. you know, do what I do, but um, make it so uh, more people and like, it's accessible to more people in my life. So that's, that's what it is. And also my own, I mean, even stuff I cook at home sometimes is so dead simple. And I think I had this mentality of like, well, this isn't, this is just stuff I threw together. This isn't a recipe. And now I'm trying to think like, is there something here that I could, that's worth sharing with people? I think there's so much value to that. If you were going to a potluck, potluck this weekend what would be what would you make like what's your go-to um depends on the season right yeah perfect <laughs> answer <laughs> um let's see I feel like I need the book in front of me oh I know so you can grab a, it too if you want actually I'll probably I probably will make this for Christmas Eve it's um a root vegetable gratin um mm. it's actually a recipe that I um, adapted from a former coworker. It's so good. Um, her name's Melissa Rubel Jacobson, but it is in modern potluck. And um, it's a gratin, but you know, usually you think of gratins like potatoes and cream. And um, I do love that. But this is, um, I think it's sweet potato, or maybe it's butternut squash and rutabaga and maybe celery root. I don't remember the exact blend, but it's those vegetables layered and um, baked together but it's actually stock instead of cream until yeah. the very end and then you just add a little bit of cream which helps the top caramelize a little bit um and it's topped with some nuts and I think that is what I would make for um a winter you know a winter type of potluck yum that sounds so good and I know one of the things I read about your book is um kind of talked about navigating dietary um, preferences too when you go to a potluck. What's your general advice on that? Because that can be pretty tricky. A note from our sponsor. The Chef's Garden is a family-owned regenerative farm that grows the most flavorful and nutritious vegetables, herbs, and microgreens for culinary professionals and home cooks. For over 30 years, the Chef's Garden has supplied some of the world's finest chefs and restaurants. Now, through Farmer Jones Farm, the same delicious ingredients are available to home cooks in the United States to use and enjoy, delivered directly to their homes. The Chef's Garden mission is to grow exceptional vegetables, care for each other and the land, and inspire a vegetable-forward future. For more information, visit chefs-garden.com. I like to ask people if they're coming over for dinner, whether it's potluck or not, you know, if they have dietary restrictions. And then um, if I'm hosting like a bigger potluck, I will ask people to, um, when they, I, I'll often have labels available so people can label their dish. And then, it, you know, it could say like, um, you could do it either way. You could say like gluten-free or you could go the other way where it's like contains wheat. Mm -hmm. um, but I try to have some kind of, little sign um but yeah I think I did like in the in the book I do address like if you're a guest versus if you're a host and um I think as a guest if you have a dietary restriction you know not to be afraid to just say to say it because I know a lot of people they're shy about it and they're like oh I'll figure something out 
Um, but it can't hurt, you know, cause somebody like me, I, I don't, I don't mind like figuring out something else to make. So it can't hurt yeah. to, to tell, to tell the host. I think that's great. And I, I avoid gluten. And so for me, sometimes it is, you're in that awkward position of your, you like hate to ask, but you're like, um, can I eat this, <laughs> you know? And so having the labels and everything would be wonderful and also just save a lot of stress for the people who have allergies or sensitivities. So Yeah. Yeah. And in the book, I, all the recipes are tagged. So if something is gluten-free or vegan, it's all tagged. And then um, there are some cases where I share alternatives. Like I know that there's an oven fried chicken recipe and it was developed so um, it could be served cold. Like I like developed it and then, I mean, I would test it and then refrigerate it and taste it cold because that was the point, you know. Um, but I tested it with wheat flour and rice flour. And in that context, there really wasn't a difference. So in those cases, I try to offer those alternatives. Yeah, that's so nice. <laughs> when it comes to like the energy of sharing food um, and just coming together around food, can you talk about kind of why that's important and maybe a tip or two related to um, what to bring when you're looking for like a really um, great meal where you can connect with the people you're sharing it with? I'm a total introvert, love spending time by myself, recharge and all of that. But I do think that the the pandemic, um, especially like the early part where many of us were much more isolated, it did show us the the benefits of social interaction, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I think eating is and coming together over food is such a huge part of that. And something that like maybe people like me who thought, you know, we were fine um, being by ourselves so much um, started to miss and realize the value of. Um, and in terms of what to bring, I mean, I think that's just comes down to like, you know, good communication if, if you're going to somebody else's house, like, um, cause I am the kind of person a lot of times where I do like to make all the food, unless it's like, I, I'm clearly saying it's a potluck. So I'm always like, just bring yourself, like, don't worry about it, you know? Um, and so sometimes pe like people will bring things that are meant to be consumed later, like almost like a host gift, like a little jam or this, or, you know, a dessert. Um, and I think that's great. But I, I think just like don't like not being afraid to be communicative because sometimes like, you know, there are times where where I really want I love the help. So, I, you know, if somebody says, what can I bring? I'll be pretty specific, and like, <laughs> you know, bring two cheeses or like that. So. No, I think that's great. And it is, I think, especially after COVID, it has made everyone miss, I think, for the most part miss that social interaction and being able to share food and just have a conversation with people face to face. Mm -hmm. um, so. And one of my favorite things anymore with that is, again, it comes back to like streamlining. What can I like do less of? Like I've been trying to, you know, maybe not overthink something like a menu and just like have a friend over, like literally <laughs> make the same thing I'm going to make for dinner that I am making for like my husband and daughter but then, you know, making enough so like one or two other people can come. And that's probably a very normal concept to most people. But as somebody who like thinks so much about food and, you know, gathering for me, um, 
I don't know. I've just, it's almost been like a little bit of like a challenge to myself. Like, <laughs> I laugh because I so relate to that. Like, if people are coming over, it's a multi day process between right. cleaning the house and shopping and cooking and all the things. Like, it's a, it's, you know, it can be pretty exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that you're saying it really doesn't need to be like, yeah. just enjoy having people over versus yeah. like being just this, so worried. With this season, it's like, you know, it's, I feel like especially with winter, I'm like, mm. you know, hey, I'm making soup. Do you want to come over? You know, something <laughs> easy like right. that be pretty low key. Yeah. And sometimes that's the best meal there is, right? Like just to have something really simple like that and nourishing. Totally. Um, so when it comes to vegetables and wine, I know you're the editor at Food and Wine for quite a while. So let's talk about vegetable and wine pairing. Um, something I know you know a lot about each. What are your basic tips when it comes to vegetables and wine? Um, I will say for the most part, your white wines and rosé will pair better with most vegetables, um, especially green vegetables. Mm. Um, and like, uh, Gruner Veltliner is an Austrian grape and it tends to be really good with like anything in the green vegetable category. Um, your sweeter vegetables like sweet potatoes, I think can be really nice with wines that are a little bit off dry, like a Riesling. Um, that said, I will say I'm not a stickler. I'm not a huge stickler about pairing. I tend to like um, just open wines I like and eat food I like. And if there's a magical pairing, that's great. And if there's not, that's also fine. So I, yeah, it's like, I guess if I really think about it, I could create these pairings, but most of the time um, I tend to just like, have a general like oh I want like a richer white tonight or something and that happens to work well with the food great I love that I think that's a great philosophy (laughs) (laughs) so our podcast is called farming for health what does farming for health mean to you well I think because of working on the book with the chef's garden you know I learned so much about how the soil is everything and then even doing gardening and you know when I nourish my soil well versus not and seeing the difference in those plants um I do see why it comes back and starts with the soil and you know soil health um so I think that's to me that's what it means Mm -hmm. uh like all starts with the soil and then you know uh is it healthy soil healthy plants healthy people yeah yeah so um yeah to me that's that's definitely what it means I think that's perfect (laughs) and I know our listeners or audience are going to want to learn more about you where do they go online to find out more about you sure so my website is kristendonnelly.com and um, I actually, I've, you know, talking about streamlining recipes, I've been working on a newsletter. It's weekly called Mission Dinner. It's missiondinner.substack.com. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a recipe every week, and they have about five ingredients and take 30 minutes or less. So, um, yeah, you can kind of, like, see my recipe process in action because 
uh, yeah, a lot of it is like me again, like how can I make this even simpler? I love that. And what a great inspiration to even just try a new recipe every week. So. Totally. Actually, it can't come going back to my friends. It's, I asked them, you know, what are your biggest challenges? And for them with dinner time, mm-hmm. especially it's, and if they have kids, it they said it's, um, it's getting out of the rut. They don't mind, like they cook, they'll cook most nights and they just cook the same stuff. Cause it's like, they don't have to think about it when they're shopping. They, their kids like it. Um, so the idea with mission dinner was like, you know, maybe you don't need a complicated meal plan. You just, you know, you make your same stuff and people, you know, people will like it, but every once in a while, you know, you can add a new recipe to your repertoire. So that's yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. Thank you, Amy. This was really fun. Thank you for listening to Farming for Health. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Connect with Farmer Lee Jones and I on Instagram and Facebook. 